Hi, and welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Church Podcast. We want to thank you for joining us online and remind you to feel free to visit our website at seacoastvineyard.com anytime for up-to-date information on our local church here in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. If you would like to give financially to this ministry, whether that's a one-time gift or a recurring monthly gift, simply click on the Give tab at our website and give however God leads you. Now, we want you to enjoy this message from God's Word. Uh, We started a new series last week uh, called Vineyard is Our Middle Name. Every few years, I like to kind of visit what our core values are, the things that we hold dear, uh, the beliefs that we hold dear. And also, it's just a good check because, you know, you can say some things are important to you. Aren't you like this sometimes? You're like, that's really important to me. And then when you take a good look, maybe at your life or how you're doing things, you realize that's really not as important as I thought it was to me. So maybe I need to either make some adjustments in that or or maybe I need to check and see what God's doing in my heart and see if he's moving a different direction or whatever. And so it's really good for a church every, uh, every couple of years, I think, just to go back, take a look and see kind of what you were called to, what was the heartbeat of God whenever the church began or whenever this particular group uh, started. And so uh, that's what uh, I wanted to do over these three weeks. Next week we'll finish it up. And uh, last week we talked about worship, the value of worship. Uh, You know, every church I think has a job description in a way. Uh, Just like every part of the body, the hand has a job description, the foot has a job description. Every church has a job description that uh, it wants to fulfill and it wants to complete for God and and really do it well the best that it can do with what it has and so uh, you know those of you uh, you ever gone in for a job interview and and they give you your job description and uh, you they say this is what we're hiring this is what the person will be doing you just try to line it up I I read some questions this week uh, that were kind of cute see if you can name the profession when I give you this job description Spends most of the day looking out of the window. <laughs> That's a good one. Close, a pilot. <laughs> Spends his day. There you go. How about this one? Now, I didn't make these up, so don't anybody get mad at me, okay? Because I didn't, I didn't come up with these. They run away and call the police. <laughs> Here we go. Picking on retired women today for some reason. <laughs> a security guard. I didn't say that, okay. You copy and paste things on the internet. A student. That looks good. <laughs> How about talks in other people's sleep? And don't say Tim's job, okay? What? Talks in other people's sleep. It's close to a preacher, I guess. A university professor. <laughs> How about shoot couples on their wedding day? Yeah, there you go. All right. And I'll do one more. Shows up even though nobody called them. Gets paid for an answer the people already knew. And to a question that the people never ask. A preacher. <laughs> yeah. A consultant. There you go. (laughs) 
everybody has a everybody has a job description. Every church has a job description. I I feel like there are some commonalities between all churches, of course. But everyone, just like the body, like we talked about last week, every church has some distinctive in it that I believe God kind of spices that church up around one particular maybe uh, interest or a way of doing things. And through all of the descriptions of church and why we exist, if we do not have the word others or people in it somewhere, then we're missing it in a big way. Um, I mean, we come into church, and church is such a unique place, isn't it? I mean, those of you who have been coming for some time, it's, it's very normal to you now, but think about it. When we take communion, we take these little weird cups that you need a chainsaw to get into, and we, you know, we wrestle with them, and it's got like bad grape juice and <laughs> stale bread, it feels like it. Think of someone coming in, though, into this gathering that doesn't understand that, and they come in to take communion. They don't know, and believe me, there are many, many, many people who do not know what communion means, and it's a very foreign celebration to them, and so we, I have to be reminded. We all have to be reminded to explain things these days, others making others uh, a preference in when we do things, when we do church, when we live our Christian life. Where do others fit in? We come in, we worship, and, and I keep forgetting again that people don't understand why we raise our hands. You know, it's like, what's the deal with that? Is, does he want to talk? <laughs> you know, it's, is that what it is? Hey, hey, you know. Why do we do that? That it goes back to a, to a long tradition of worshiping God and lifting our hands in adoration to God, but but yet if we don't think of others, if we don't think to explain these things to people, they just don't know. And and those kind of moments are learning moments, and there are times when we as a church can remind ourselves that the church exists not just for itself, but it basically exists for those who aren't even a part of it yet. And that we need to be reminded on occasion that people mean a lot to the church where they should. Um, is It's got to be more than donuts, right? It's got to be more than coffee. and there's We have to exist for more than that. Why did God leave us here on this earth if we have reestablished through Christ our relationship with God? Why hasn't God just taken us out of here? Why did he leave us here on this earth? And I believe the biggest part of that is he's left us here for others. He's less left the church here for others. But what can we do, you know? Better yet, you know, what can I do? What can you do? What can we do as far as others go? Um, I know that in America, the vast majority of people claim to be Christians in America. I don't know how accurate that is. I think that that probably says something about church, maybe attendance or maybe... A, Maybe they have an experience of having gone to church at one time. I don't, forgive my skepticism, but I just don't believe the majority of America is Christian. I, I believe they have a mindset of what maybe that means. But as far as a passion for Christ and wanting to live for him, and Christ has some say-so in each person's life, you know, that, that says that I'm not so sure that's true. And as things begin to kind of ebb a bit, and, and we're starting to see Christianity, the growth Christianity back down just a little, not not too much. You know, I mean, I think it's 77% claim to be Christians in America now. But other religions are growing at 
like six times faster than Christianity is in America. Even That's a small number, so it sounds, sounds ominous in some ways, but it, it's a small number because there's a small number of other religions in America, but they are growing six times faster than Christianity is growing at the point. I mean, uh, non-religious groups, excuse me, are growing faster. Those are, they have no, they're not attached to anybody or anything. People will say they're spiritual, you know, and everybody, everybody, I believe that each person is spiritual. I believe that. I do. And uh, that's why we can appeal to people because everybody, they are. They are spiritual. And people know deep down inside they are spiritual, that there's something God has given them and there's something that God is calling in their heart and wooing them in their heart. I believe that completely. But what do we do as a vineyard church? Where do people fit in and how much do we care? So we're going to be over in a very familiar scripture this morning, John 3, 16 uh, and 17, and I'll mention 18 as well, but mostly John 3, 16 and 17, and I want to make a few comments along the way about where we stand as a local church and as the, the National Vineyard Movement when it comes to people. So let's read this text, and, uh, and then we'll jump into this. John 3, 16. You guys probably know this, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world. God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is, is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Father, we pray blessing on your word this morning, I ask for you to help us open our heart to be able to see your love for this world that you created. Open our heart. Holy Spirit, breathe your life on us this morning. Help us see your heart. Help us ask you for help. And you're welcome here, Holy Spirit. If there are folks who have felt somewhat disenfranchised from the church or even from you, Lord, we ask that you come and show your great love this morning. That you would apprehend hearts. And that you would reveal yourself as the benevolent, wonderful Savior that you are. And we thank you for being able to gather this morning to celebrate your love for this world. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, this scripture, you guys have seen this. we got the Super Bowl coming up here shortly, so you've seen this scripture, right? You see it all over the place. John 3, 16, you've seen the banner man, you know, up in the stands, flashing the banner to everyone, and, uh, yeah, he's getting tased right there. It's a, it's a shame. <laughs> and uh, John 3, 16, most people have seen this scripture and they they take it as God simply loves humanity and is calling and some people have even seen it kind of as a rebuke as kind of a preaching to people that kind of thing and all but this story the whole story behind John 3 16 is fascinating because Jesus is saying this to a Jewish uh, religious leader a Pharisee a man named Nicodemus that came to Jesus in the middle of the night we're not sure exactly why he came to Jesus at night some people say well he was scared that someone would see him going to Jesus we don't know any of that for sure we don't know but he did come to Jesus at night at night and we have just a little portion of the conversation that Jesus had with this religious leader 
probably this conversation went on through the night. And most probably as they would have their conversations, as Pharisees and rabbis would have their conversations, they probably, probably sat there and talked and talked. And wouldn't it have been neat to sit in on the whole conversation as Jesus tried to explain to Nicodemus why he had come into the world. Now, of course, Nicodemus didn't catch it that he was Messiah. And as you read the story, you find out that Nicodemus isn't catching on. He's seen some things that's grabbed his heart. He has seen Jesus do some miracles. He's listened to the way Jesus talks about people and the way he loves and cares for people. And so he's attracted to that. And Nicodemus wants to know what's going on, but he doesn't get it. Now, this is a man who knew the law inside and out. He knew all the prophecies of the Messiah coming. He could quote them right off the top of his head. He could give worship instructions to anyone that came along. He could say, here is what God likes. Here is how God has told us to worship, the sacrifices. He knew it all. He was a spiritual guide to others. And uh, he could tell you who was in and who was out easily. He set the spiritual bar for many people. He would say, hey, if you're not a good Jewish person and if you're not following this line of faith, then you are not in. And he could tell you that. And this conversation, as it unfolds again, it becomes rather obvious that Nicodemus, and he does show up in kind of a very uh, beautiful way later on in the story, but at this point in time, he just didn't get it. He didn't see that Jesus was the Messiah. There's no admittance in this conversation that he was. But like I tell you guys all the time, the Bible is such just a fascinating book because just one chapter over, I mean, here we have this Jewish man who knows everything supposedly about spiritual life, and he's not getting it as Jesus talks to him. And you just flip over one chapter into the fourth chapter of John, and we have a lovely story about someone whom Nicodemus would have had nothing to do with. Now, Nicodemus didn't get it at all. But you flip over, you know, there were no chapters and verses in this originally, so it's just a part of the story as it runs through. And as you come over to the fourth chapter, we get over to where Jesus talks with a Samaritan woman. Now, Nicodemus, as being a good Jewish Pharisee, would never have talked to this woman. And he didn't get who Jesus was. Then you read the story with the Samaritan woman, this next story, and it's just amazing because she gets it. And I go back to John 3, 16, 17, and I go, Truly, you so love the world, the cosmos, the inhabitants of the world, that you gave your only begotten son. You didn't come to condemn the world because here you are sitting in a well next to a Samaritan woman that Nicodemus would have never come even close to. First, she's a Samaritan, a hated kind of a half-breed type of Jewish montage of religions. The Jews had slipped into their temple years and years ago and burned it to the ground. They would, Jerusalem was nothing to the Samaritans. They worshipped on their own mountain, and so the Jewish people despised the Samaritans. And yet here's Jesus sitting in a well with a woman in this era, during this period of time, talking to a Samaritan woman. She gets it, and she runs off to her village, if you read the story, gets all of her friends and brings them back, and they get it. And Jesus goes back to the village, and many come to know and believe that he's the Messiah. You've got a fill-in this morning, and in your fill-in, 
I've got uh, on there, what matters to God? What matters to God? And your first feeling is this, people matter to God. People matter to God. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. He cared for Nicodemus. He spent the time to try to get him to see. And then he leaves and he goes to this place to a despised people, to a woman, and he shares who he is with her until she gets it. And once she gets it, she wants others to get it. So she goes to her village and brings them back. And, um, I mean, God loves people. God loves people. And your next fill in there is God's intention isn't to condemn people, but to save people. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. That's a profound statement because in church many times we can get so confused that we think that indeed God's job on this earth is to condemn people. You know, anything we can find to condemn, God condemns that, that, that. And we have to kind of get back to the, the whole crux of the matter. And that is that God wills that none should perish. Not one. The fact of the matter is we are already condemned. We don't need to be condemned. The scripture in John 3.18 says that we already are. We're already there. What we need is a rescuer. What we need is some good news. What we need is a savior. That's what we, we don't need someone to come and condemn us. Like, you know, because we already are. We need a savior. And so God's intention isn't to condemn people. It's not to come to this earth and to slam and condemn. And I think these two stories between Nicodemus and the Samaritan woman are just a pure picture of that from Christ for his church. In Luke 6, 36, this is a very short verse, Jesus said, Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. How much does God love people? How far will he go to reach people. I want to ask Doug or Doug Dorman to come up. He heard a story recently. And Doug, come up and share this because I think this will encourage you. This is Doug Dorman. He's just back from Thailand, like three weeks. Yeah. Yeah, as a as a Seacoast Vineyard missionary, uh went out recently and I was in Thailand for a couple of classes and uh met missionaries from all over Asia. And this one guy works with a tribal group, a hill tribe known as the Akas. And he had been working with them for about seven years. And he said when he first went, he would uh, pray against the rituals of the people. Just there were so many rituals that seemed to have demonic roots. And one day it kind of dawned on him, maybe I need to ask God, where's his kingdom at work? What's God doing in this tribe? And so he began to pray differently. And he was talking with the elders. And he said uh, to the elders of the tribe, he said, do you have any creation stories? And they said, well, yeah, we've, we've got uh, a couple of creation stories. He said, one, we don't know what you white people believe. He said, but we believe that animals used to talk. And he said, we, we believe that there was a snake that could talk. And he talked to the first humans. And he said to the first humans uh, he, he, to eat this fruit that had been forbidden. Now, this is a tribe that's never heard the Bible. 
So it's a pretty, pretty cool deal. So he said, and the, uh, the, the woman, she ate and swallowed it. Now, they didn't have all the f- facts right, but she said the woman swallowed the, uh, the, the fruit, and her belly would swell up when she got pregnant because of that. And, uh, and she, was, she was cursed and had to work in the fields with the sweat of her brow. So they kind of twisted a little bit there on the scripture. And then he said, uh, and we, we uh, worship the mountain boat God. Well, this is something my, my new friend Blake had been praying about, kind of praying against, and said, well, tell me about the mountain boat God. So, well, there was a flood that covered the whole earth, and there was one family that was preserved. And that one family, um, they, they, the boat, they built a boat, and the boat eventually landed on top of a mountain, and that's the God we worship, the mountain boat God. And he was able to say to them then, that's the God that I've come to tell you about. And saw it as a redemptive, it's called redemptive analogies. And so my encouragement to you is God loves the people that you love. He loves your family. He loves your, your coworkers, your neighbors, your friends. What are the redemptive analogies right around you where God's been at work in the people that you care about? Because God's at work and he loves people. And there are things in all of our past that God wants to redeem for the gospel, that he wants to capture in order to capture us. So look for those redemptive analogies in your family and friends. Thanks, Doug. You get that? A tribe that never heard of Christianity, and God drops into their heart these stories. Scripture says that God has placed eternity in everyone's heart all around the world. And though there are thousands of people groups who have not heard of Christ yet, and that's why Doug is out and and, uh, many of our friends are out as missionaries trying to preach this gospel to everyone they can, God is already ahead of the game, isn't he? I mean, he loves this earth. He loves this world. He loves the people in this world. He loves your family. He loves your friends. He cares about them. He's not come to condemn the world, but to save it. And the joy of this is that we've been kind of invited into that. Your next section of scripture or fill-in here is who matters to us? And that's a question we need to ask. Who matters to us? Does it really matter to us? Well, here in the vineyard, your feeling is people matter to the vineyard. People matter to us. When we started to launch this church, I, you know, we've been praying for months and, and trying to say, God, what's this church going to look like? And like the second part of the phrase that I kept sensing, I felt like God was saying is that, you know, that... You're going to worship God with passion because that's what I want this church to be, a passionate place of worship. But you're also going to reach out in Jesus' name with compassion. With compassion. Not condemnation, but compassion. Tim, I want this church to be a church of of compassion because I didn't come into the world to condemn the world. I came to save it, and I want the church to partner with me in doing that. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 19 has this beautiful, somewhat job description in it for us. It says, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. 
that God was reconciling, see that activeness? God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. Oh, how we like to do that, don't we? Count men's sins against them. Well, God's not even doing that. God is reconciling people, going after people, pulling people, trying to save people, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us, to us, the message of reconciliation. That's the message he's given the church. It's a message of reconciliation that God has come to reconcile them back to their creator. That there's a way to get reconnected with the one who made them. What great news. Just recently we got a letter back from the uh, adult learning center down the street. Uh, Susan and before that uh, Brian and different ones have been reaching out to the adult learning center over the last few years since we've been in this location. They've gone down and they've prepared meals. This is kind of a forsaken school. They do uh, GEDs for people, and we've, we've bought a number, and well, you have bought a number of GED scholarships for people who want to better themselves, and so we have paid for I don't know how many scholarships for folks taking their GED right down uh, the street. So recently they went down and fed the teachers, and we got this letter back last week, and uh, says, we are just not used to any organization showing this much support and kindness. As you know, our students have no voice and have no parent-type support group. Your church members have stepped up to the plate and are the best examples of what community support and care really means. Thank you from the bottom of our hearts, the adult education staff. That's you. It's you guys. That's showing that God has come into our community, not to condemn the community, but to love the community. And your next fill-in under B, under the second part, is our intention isn't to condemn people, but to join God in his mission to save people. In John 5, 19, our intention isn't to condemn people, but to join God in his mission to save people. John 5, 19, Jesus said, Very truly, I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the Father doing. Whatever the Father is doing is exactly what Jesus did. He didn't go out and do his own thing. He did whatever he saw God the Father doing. So that's our invitation. All we have to do is have eyes to see what the Father is doing. We don't have to make it, create it, wonder, wonder what God's doing. You know, we have to open our eyes, open our ears, and say, all right, show me what you're doing. God's doing something down at the Adult Learning Center, and we've joined him in loving those people because he cares for them. And now we're getting affirmation that indeed this is what God is doing. God is working there, and he's invited us in to do his great work of love and uh, reconciliation with him already and what he's doing down there. And so our mission is simply to join God. We don't have to create new things. We just have to join him with, I mean, that should take some pressure off, right? I mean, you, want, you walk out and you go, I'm scared, man. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. You know, no, all you have to do is have eyes to see and ears to hear. And we can learn to do that. We can learn to do that. That's a part of discipleship, learning to hear and to recognize when God 
is doing something so we can step into it with him because he's already prepared the field. He's already at work. Now, how do we show others that they matter? There's two ways, and I'm going to talk about one this morning. The other one I'll talk about next week. The, the first one is proclamation. Next week, we'll talk about demonstration. But proclamation is when we use words, when we talk, when we open our mouth. And, and uh, you know, proclamation. Jesus said, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to what? Proclaim the good news to the poor, to the needy, to those who need some good news. And words seem to be like the most difficult thing for many of us at times, but it doesn't have to be that challenging. And your next fill-in there is here's one of the ways and times that we can use words is during times of crises. During times of crises. And that is when people are going through very difficult times and they invite you into their life, if they've invited you into, your, into their life, they already hold you in some high esteem. I mean, they would not include you in those broken moments, in those times of loss, in those times of challenges. Uh, they wouldn't do that if they didn't already look at you and go, this person has some compassion in their life. And that's why I'm going to share this. Well, what is the father doing? What is the father doing when one of your friends or your family members comes to you and say, and you say, how are you doing? And they go, I'm really facing a tough situation. Now, why would God let them talk to you like that? Why would he do that? Why would he let them open up to you? Why would he do that? Unless the father is already at work in them. And now they're positioned in front of you. And you have a personal invitation to be his compassion to them. You see what I'm talking about? Just eyes to see, ears to hear. Okay, Lord, let me see it. Let me hear it. In crises, people are the most, I think, open. The vast majority of people who come to Christ in church on Sunday mornings are coming many times during moments of crises. They've hit a wall somewhere in their life, and spiritually they know that they're not connected and they want that peace. They want the peace they hear us talking about. They want that peace in their life that, that we've experienced. That peace that passes all understanding at times. That gives us this settledness even when things are chaotic. And they come to church and they, they hear and they see the worship. And they hear you talking about how faithful God is. And, and suddenly God moves on them. And in church they go, I want that. You know, I want that Prince of Peace in my life. I need that. It's during times of crises. And so... You know, being with someone and praying a simple prayer with someone. You know, he's like, I don't know how to pray, Tim. Yes, you do. Yeah, you do. Jesus, would you please help my friend? There you go. That's a great prayer. That's a great prayer. It's not the prayer that does anything. It's the God that does it. But for some reason, there's like this gap that God wants us to step into at times where he's loving this person and bringing them toward him. And he's like, I want you to be a part of this. I want you to be a part of this. Step into that gap and just pray for him and watch what I do. You know, you don't have to rifle through all the fancy words. I don't even know where this is in Scripture. It's all right. When God invites you into a person's life at a time of crisis, he's a very simple Prayer of compassion, asking for God's great comfort to come, can mean a whole lot. 
And we can do that, can't we? Just say, do you mind if I pray a little short prayer? Just And people who are in crises, they don't mind you praying. They just invited you into their life by telling you about it. And if they say no, you can still pray underneath your breath. If they say, I'm not comfortable with that, then you can say, okay. <laughs> I mean, not, you know, they don't have to hear it, but you can still say, Lord, you put me here. You know, they're not comfortable, and that's okay. I'm going to honor that. But you know what? I can still pray, and you can still answer it because you put me right here, right? I mean, we all can do that. You know, and you can be praying when you're around people underneath your breath constantly. You kind of just, all right, God, show me what you're doing. Yeah, I want to join you. So it's in those times. And, of course, you know, there's prayer. Simple, powerful prayers are just simply prayers that are sincere. They're just sincere. And then, you know, you have to be in proximity to people in order to do this, for this to happen. You know, we can't be hermits. And, and uh, love people. You just can't, you know. If you're, if you're living off by yourself and you're not going to be around folks at all, you know, then, then this stuff is not going to work. <laughs> you know, it's just like you're with yourself constantly, which is real weird. So, uh, but you don't want to, you know, we've been sent out into the world. We've been sent out into the world to go. We've been sent out into the world to go. And, and even if we're not a gregarious person, you know, we're not like really comfortable in groups, we're comfortable with one or two people. And God can use you with one or those one or two people. You don't have to be gregarious. You just have to be you. And join God wherever he puts you and what he's doing. And so we're, we're around people. You know, you can constantly ask, Lord, show me what you're doing. So, uh, you know, it's during crises. And your second one is desires. Everybody has certain desires in their life. Uh, things that they want to understand. They they. God can put this hunger, like, a, like it said in the Old Testament, eternity in people's hearts. There's this vacuum of wanting to understand what this all means. And, and so there's, there's all these kind of desires. Over in uh, Acts 8 is a great story and, you know, of Philip. I, what a great story of Philip. He's preaching to the Samaritans in one moment over in Acts 8, and all kind of miraculous things are happening. And then the next minute you see him, he's walking next to this Ethiopian eunuch that's in a chariot. This is one of my favorite stories. Talk about proximity. Suddenly Philip, who had, by the way, as you read on in, the, I think, Acts 21, you see that he's got four daughters who prophesy. No wonder he had to get out of the house. You know, he had to get, he's got four daughters prophesying at his house, you know. So Philip is out and about, and God places him in proximity to this Ethiopian Eunuch, someone totally of a different ethnic group and a different job and all of this in a chariot and great responsibilities. And, and God puts Philip close enough to that chariot that he can hear him reading the book of Isaiah. Duh, what is God inviting him into? He just happens to be close enough. It's like a, a you know, holy getting in on the conversation. You know, like your ear grows big. You've done that in these restaurants. I know you have people talking, you know, and you're hearing things. And, and you better be careful because God might be inviting you into the conversation when you hear a question. I had a guy in Starbucks not too long ago. Uh, you know, I was reading the scripture, and he, and he did that to me. He said, do you understand what you're reading? <laughs> it was great. It was a Campus Crusade guy, you know, and I said, you want to help me? <laughs> he said, yeah, let's look at it, you know, and started explaining the scripture to me. Then I told him I was a pastor, you know, but he gave him a good workout, so it was good. It, it, 
And it helped me too, you know. I mean, I learned some stuff from it. But, but that's what Philip, you know, he, he, this Ethiopian eunuch had a desire to understand the book of Isaiah. And so there's desires. Everyone has desires. And then there's your story. The last one is your story. Nobody has your story but you. How God reached you, what he's doing in your life, nobody has your story. Every single one of you are as distinct as your fingerprint. Every one of you were reached by God in a specific way. And nobody else has that story but you. And God is really good about putting you in places where you can tell your story. It's not rocket science. It's simply finding a place around people that you're comfortable with many times, around some common thing, and then look for an opportunity to tell your story. Watch this video. My name is Nate Dorman. I'm 19 years old from Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. I grew up in Savannah, Georgia for my first eight years while my dad was a pastor in that area. And from that experience, just church every Sunday and being involved in my church as a kid and growing up, I decided to make that something that was my own, my relationship with Christ. Another big thing that was instilled in me from when I was young was surfing. My dad's a surfer and he, tra he taught me we'd get onto the beach and he'd push me into waves or get on, on like a boogie board or always around the ocean. And when I was in seventh grade, I went to a church camp down in Georgia where I used to live. And I remember one of my friend's dads, who's the pastor, praying for me. And he prayed specifically that I would have boldness and be courageous to share who I am as a Christian with the people who I'm contacting surfing. I went to a year of college in California and there was able to surf a lot of great waves and studying in intercultural studies um, at my like a missions program at my school and during the second semester I began questioning what I'd been focusing on for my whole life was um, at least the last eight years or so is professional surfing and trying to go pro with that the question was has this been something that is just on um, my desire like a selfish thing to be a pro surfer for myself? Or is this something that is really from the Lord who, that he's given me as a passion and something to excel in and continue to use for his glory? After a few weeks of really praying through and wrestling within myself about that, I, some doors started opening to continue in the direction with surfing. And I had my pastor at my church, he was challenging me and we were studying through and just trying to figure out what my next step was and in talking to my parents they were supportive of me they just said Nate you know you hear from the Lord and if you feel like surfing is where you need to go then you need to go for it all the way and I'm pursuing a passion and dream that I believe God put there in my heart and I'm going for it with everything I've got. The first trip that summer I came home for a couple weeks and then raised enough money to go over to Indonesia. And there I was with a nonprofit humanitarian group that uses surfing to reach people in like less fortunate communities and giving back as surfers. And through that I got to meet a kid named Koman on the street. We were just surfing in Bali one day and I met this kid in the water 
and he's 15 years old. And as we began to become friends and he started to share with me who he is and how he grew up, I found out that he's an orphan. Both of his parents had passed away in a car accident and he lives on the beach now or wherever he can find a place to sleep. And I just really, my heart broke for him and I really wanted to pour into his life and try to reach, just reach out to him and love like Jesus would where just whatever you do to the least of these, you do it to me. And that came into my head and just became, I was just friends with the kid. And we, I was, we, I took him up to where we were staying in Bali and was able to give him a Bible. And it was in his language and he was asking questions about it and just trying to share with him who Jesus was and is. And another thing that I was able to give him was a surfboard. I had a board that I gave him and he didn't, he didn't have his own board. He hardly had, he had like what he had on his back and then I think he had a backpack stashed under some trees somewhere on the beach. And I was able to give him that board and we took him surfing after that and continued hanging out with him. And later on in the week, he actually came to church with us and I distinctively remember the sermon was about Christ as your father, how God's your dad. And this kid, Coman, who I became friends with, was sitting right beside me and he just began breaking down, weeping and crying. And I just put my arm around him and was praying for him and let him know how much God loves him. And because of that, I can love him and was just pouring out to him. And it was awesome to see him responding to the message like that. And I pray that people have continued to pour into him since I've left and I'm hoping one day to get back and see him. So I'm thankful for God just guiding me this year for all of this traveling and surfing that I've gotten to do. And I'm looking forward to the next year to see what he continues to do in my life. And I pray that he would, that I would be used for his glory as a surfer around the world. We hope you enjoyed this week's podcast from Seacoast Vineyard Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. We look forward to you joining us next time on iTunes or at our website, www.seacoastvineyard.com.